Thank you, Roxanne. If you're part of our preschool ministry, preschoolers, you're dismissed to your time of worship. And that'll be a blessing in your life as well. If you have a Bible this morning, please take it and turn to Acts chapter 2. The past couple of weeks, and even today, we're continuing on our series as a faith family through the book of Acts. So far, we've seen in the book of Acts that we've seen what the church is, that the church is the true believers of all time. And that as the church, we've seen some benefits of the church, and we know that it's very possible, and even in some situations, justifiable, that there are some that may feel skeptical about the church, maybe gotten burned by the church in the past. And uh, we want to see, as we go through this, we want to see how God's worked in the church, how you and I are here today because of the early church, but also the benefits and the beauty of the church. And we've seen that the church is the body of true believers of all time. And we've seen that as the church, we are given, we are given a mission to accomplish together, to be Jesus representatives, representatives of Jesus to the entire world and the world around us, where that's the mission we're given. We're not just here to sit around and wait till either Jesus comes by or to quite frankly die. But we are here to accomplish a mission together. The church all across the world, all the true believers in the world, we are here to accomplish a mission together to be the representatives of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging without any kind of power. Jesus empowers us for this mission to make him known to the ends of the earth through the Holy Spirit. He's given us that power. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit. That's a constant theme through the book of Acts. Is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. We see that the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit gives power to the church for the, for the mission to, to accomplish. We're going to see today that with the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit plus the message of the church, big things happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. We also saw last week at the end of Acts chapter 1, the discernment the Holy Spirit brings the church, that through the Holy Spirit, we can discern and know God's will for us, that we can know where God is at work and join Him in that through the Holy Spirit. And that's coupled together with prayer, that God in His sovereignty has allowed us to be a part of His redemptive plan through prayer. That we get to join God in that plan through prayer. And then we saw that last week, how they, they prayed together. Well, today, we're going to see the message of the church. The message of the church, coupled together with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, big things happen. Don't you love good news? I like good news. I, I uh, try to focus on the positive in my life. There's enough things going on in my life and in the world around us to focus on the negative. Like, I like good news. For some of these seniors, it is good news that they are graduating high school. For maybe their parents, it is good news that they are getting out of the house. I know for my parents, that was good news. Maybe not for the moms, anyway. But we like good news, don't we? I, I remember when I when Mary Lane and I, we were, we were just at the very, very early stages of our relationship, all right? That's kind of an awkward stage. Mary Lane and I have known each other for a really, really long time. We knew each other as kids. Our families uh, were, and our family friends exchanged Christmas cards and stuff over the time, oh, as the years went on. But when Mary Lane and I started our relationship, there was kind of, especially because we had known each other for so long, 
there was this awkward, like, friend zone that I felt like we were working through. You know what I mean? Like, you want to be more than friends. At least I wanted to be more than friends, but you didn't know if you were just friends and all that kind of stuff. Well, at this very start of our relationship, it was the last semester of uh, my college career, and we reconnected, and we had gone out into some, they were dates in my mind, I wasn't sure if they were dates in her mind, or just friends, getting together, and, you know, Maryland had come up here from Birmingham, Alabama, was doing an internship at Research Hospital uh, here in Kansas City, so she was just here for a few months, and I didn't know if Mary Lane was just lonely, didn't know anyone in Kansas City, and just wanted someone to hang out with and show around town, or if she was interested in something more than that, like I was. And so we were working through that. Well, I remember my college roommate, Sam, Sam Pruzak. Sam and I were college uh, roommates, and we were good friends for many years and still stay in touch quite a bit. And, and Sam's fiance, Christy, was working in Lawrence, out real close to KU. And so Sam and I decided that, well, Sam decided that he was going to go see Christy. And I said, well, I'm going to come with you so I can uh, see if I can push this along a little quicker with Mary Lane. And um, so him and I flew from Milwaukee to Kansas City. And I remember the nerves, even in the airport, and getting on that plane, knowing just kind of the unknown of that entire weekend. It was a Friday evening that we were going to fly in. We flew in late uh, that Friday night, or Thursday night, and we were going to get together. And so I drove and picked up Mary Lane, and Sam was with us and drove him out to Lawrence to meet up with Christy. And then Mary Lane and I spent really all late morning and afternoon together um, out there at KU, walking around the campus and, and all that there is there at Lawrence. And I knew we were going to have to drive back from Lawrence to Kansas City, and it was just going to be Mary Lane and I. And I knew, okay, here is an opportunity for me to tell her my intentions in whatever this was, and to tell her that basically I liked her, and I, didn't, I wanted to be more than friends. And so I was, you know, kind of gearing up towards that. We had lunch in Lawrence, and we got in the car to drive back to Kansas City. Um, we were going to meet it with my parents and my brother and sister uh, for dinner that night. So I was like, okay, that 45, 45 minutes to an hour drive, this is my opportunity to talk with her. Well, what happened? She had uh, worked a couple of late nights at Research Hospital and fell asleep on the drive back to Kansas City. So there I am. It's just like, you know on football when you ice the kicker or you call timeout in a basketball game to ice the free throw shooter? That's what I felt like God was doing to me in that car. I was like, I'm going to ice you. I'm going to make you think. So all the way back from Lawrence to Kansas City, I had to think about this conversation I'm getting ready to have with her. We have dinner with my parents. I don't care about dinner anymore at this point. Like, I don't, I'm like, I'm mad my parents are there, my brother and sister. I'm mad at them for being there, you know? So we have dinner with them, and so then I had to drive from Lee Summit back over to Kansas City to drop Mary Lane off at her grandmother's where she was living with her, right over here at the Armor Home uh, on Warnell Road. And so I'm driving Mary Lane back over. I'm like, this is the opportunity I have, because there's not going to be many more opportunities before I go back to school. I've got to tell her how I feel. So finally, in the drive back that 30-minute drive, I told Mary Lane, and much longer than this, but got to the point of, you know, I've known you for a long time, and I really like you, and I want to be more than friends. Over that 30-minute, this is like a 30-minute conversation. <laughs> and Mary Lane asked me some questions, and you need to go talk to her about those questions. She kind of interrogated me, actually. <laughs> and um, so I'm just like, 
here it comes. The boom's going to be dropped. So yeah, I just think of us as friends. You know, all those insecurities are going through your mind. And then finally there at the end she said, yeah, I'd like to be more than friends too. And here we are today. I wanted to throw up in that car at that moment. All that time and nervous energy just was all released in one moment. I wanted to throw up there in the car, which wouldn't have been very romantic uh, at that time. Um, but I figured she's out of hospital. She sees it all the time. Um, I know I didn't throw up. Uh, but this the sense of relief, honestly, that there was there. That relief felt like an elephant was off my back, that the elephant in our whatever it was was out of the room. Just the sense of relief that that was there. That good news that I received. That message I received from her that she felt the same way that I did. The church has a message. The church has good news that brings relief that is freeing, that brings freedom, that brings joy, that brings absolute meaning to life. And what is that good news? It's the gospel. The gospel. That's what the church has. And there's a world and a community around us that is lost, that is broken, that is empty, that is looking for answers, and we have the message, we have the good news to bring meaning to life to the world and community around us. So if you have a Bible here in Acts chapter 2, we saw last week about 120 people, the church at that time was only about 120 people, they had gathered together to pray about who was going to replace Judas as a disciple, of uh, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so they're gathered together, and we see what happens next. So look here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, all meaning those 120 people that we were introduced to last week. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all... These who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native, na native languages? The Parthians, the Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Now, what in the world is going on here? This seems something kind of like out of a movie, right? Kind of chaotic. What in the world's going on? Well, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, about six or seven weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they were all gathered together when there was a sound of rushing wind. 
Now, we could ask some questions about this wind. Was it only the disciples, the apostles, who could hear it? Or did everyone hear it? There's no way to know. But it is certain that the wind here that was heard was to symbolize the Spirit of God. Jesus even said that the Spirit of God is like the wind, blowing wherever it wants to go, blowing to and fro. So the Spirit of, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes upon them in power... And then tongues of fire appeared and rested upon them. Now, what is going on here? Now, this might seem crazy, and it probably is a little bit crazy. But we, re- we need to remember that throughout Scripture, fire was a symbol of God's presence. Where else does that happen? I think of an Exodus in the Old Testament. When Moses was in the wilderness watching his father-in-law's sheep, he looked up on the mountainside, and what did he see? A burning bush, a bush that was on fire, God's presence there, and God spoke to Moses. Also, when the children of Israel, when they were led out of Egypt, out of slavery, in the wilderness, God's presence was symbolized by a pillar of cloud by day, and then at night, what? A pillar of fire. So there, that was God's presence coming upon them. And they started to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them to speak. Now, here's where centuries of debate come into place. What is this tongues? What were they saying? What was happening to play? What was coming into play here? And we're honestly just going to talk for just a brief moment about this. Because we need to remember, the whole point of Acts chapter 2 here, it is not about speaking in tongues. That's the wrong emphasis on this passage. What's taking place here? The Holy Spirit's just coming. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, things have a tendency to happen. I've said a couple of times as we've gone through Acts, a lot of us, were comfortable with God the Father, we're comfortable with Jesus, the God the Son, and the Holy Bible, but the Holy Spirit is sometimes where we can get a little bit uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit has come here, and they were speaking in tongues as disciples as the disciples were here, the speaker's words here were completely beyond their conscious control and would be spoken in a language of which they had not previously spoken, okay? I don't speak Spanish. I wish I did. I wish when I was in high school I paid attention in, in Spanish class, but I didn't, okay? I don't speak Spanish. I wish I did, okay? So if I started speaking in Spanish, that's not a language I previously had spoken, and that's what's happening to the disciples and apostles here. Now, now, another form of speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. It was a, a spiritually gift highly valued, especially among the Corinthian church. If you read in 1 Corinthians, you see that. It was speech that could not be understood until someone who was present was given the spiritual gift of interpretation, and then they could explain what was being said. So it was the moving of the Holy Spirit. But here in Acts 2... In Jerusalem, these words that were being spoken by the disciples, the apostles, they could be recognized. It was a legitimate language that could be spoken by the visitors to Jerusalem from four lands. You had Jewish people from all over the world hearing them speak in an actual language here. And because of this, the visitors to Jerusalem heard the noise of these different languages and they gather around the, the, the disciples and realize, I'm hearing them in my own language. So don't let this passage of Scripture confuse you or freak you out or anything. Just realize and understand here, the Holy Spirit has shown up. 
And something amazing was about to happen. Now, some of you people didn't think something amazing was happening, did they? What did they think was happening? Some were confused. Some said, what, what does this mean? Others were saying, well, they're drunk. They've been filled with new wine. They're drunk here. So they don't understand completely what's going on. Well, then Peter, we're going to see this in just a second. Peter stands up, as he often does. And don't you love Peter? He's just Mr. Bold, right? He just loves to talk all the time. And Peter stands up and he dresses these people gathered around, hearing what's going on, and he refers them to a prophecy from the prophet Joel. And what was that prophecy? Well, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Peter says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall, prophes shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and, f and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's Peter saying here? He's saying even the prophet Joel, especially those who are confused by this, he says the prophet of Joel talked about this. He said this is what's going to happen. So he refers back to Joel, a prophet from many, many, many years before. He said, this is what's going to happen. And Peter says, don't focus on what's happening here, on the crazy stuff. He says, verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's just saying, here's the point of what's happening. Then he gets into it. He preaches a sermon on this. So someone look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had shown with, him, with, shown with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, all, and of that we all, all are witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord, sa the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what's Peter declaring here? What's Peter proclaiming here? What's Peter preaching here? Peter's going right to Christ. He's going right to Jesus. His message is simple. It's Jesus. He says first that Jesus proved himself as God by his signs and his miracles. And then according to the plan of God, was arrested and crucified. And, it's, and the, by the foreknowledge of God, the plan of God, Jesus was crucified. He was arrested and crucified. And to make no mistake, sometimes we can have this idea that the crucifixion of Jesus happened by accident. Oh no, that was put in the plan. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that plan was put into place, that redemptive plan. And so according to the plan of God, Jesus was arrested and crucified. Then God raised him up. He was resurrected. And then Peter even appeals to the prophecy of David, saying that even David said this was going to happen. And then he says that Jesus ascended into heaven and is exalted at the right hand of the Father and sent the, and sent the Holy Spirit to be his presence. And Peter closes it out by verse 36. He says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. What was this message that Peter was proclaiming? What is, Jesus, what is Peter saying here? What is he preaching and declaring? It's called the gospel. It's the good news. And it's the central message of the church. We will see, if you read through the book of Acts, and we'll hit this continually through our series on Acts, you will see over and over again the central message, the, the central uh, uh, message and mission of the church is to declare Jesus, is to share Jesus. They are constantly talking about Jesus and what he did. And the reality and the spiritual impact that God came to this earth in Jesus Christ, that he proved that he was God through his miracles and signs, that through his death on the cross, all sin of the world was laid upon him and forgiven. And that through his resurrection, he defeated sin and death and paid for salvation in full. And then that he is now in heaven, is glorified and exalted. These things have just, that I've just said and gone through what Peter said here in Acts chapter 2, they're proven through history, and they're, and, but they're more than historical fact. They're more than just fact. There's historical proof of all of this, the life and work of Jesus Christ. But it's more than spiritual fact. They carry spiritual impact. And let's see what the message of the gospel, the message of the church does. What happens? This is more than just facts that Peter is sharing here. There's a very real spiritual element and reality to it. So look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It says here in verse 37, these people hear the gospel, they hear the message of Christ, and it says they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's called conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, and then what does Peter tell them to do? He tells them to repent. One commentator says this, Peter's preaching proved effective not only persuading his hearers' minds, but convicting their conscience. If Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah, then no guilt could be greater than the guilt of treating him as he had been treated. If they had refused him, in whom all their hope of salvation rested, what hope of salvation was left to them now? So they asked Peter, they asked the disciples, what are we supposed to do? That is the question of all mankind. That is the question of all of history. What are you going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? That's the question for all human history. What will we do with Jesus? We can acknowledge him as a great teacher. We can acknowledge him as a great historical figure. But there's more to it than that. And the question is, what will we choose to do with Jesus Christ? And what does Peter, he tells them two things to do. First, repent. Repent. There's one thing we need to understand, that the gospel leads to repentance. What is repentance? It is a complete change of heart. It is a spiritual about space. It's a spiritual 180. It is a change of course. That's what the gospel leads to is a complete change. You see, many people, even today in our growing godless culture, a culture that is ignoring God and doesn't want anything to do with God and even questioning the existence of God, even in our growing godless culture, it is pretty easy to acknowledge or believe that Jesus came to earth Maybe even to acknowledge he did miracles, that he died on the cross, was resurrected and went back to heaven. But for salvation, that's not good enough. Because when the gospel takes root in an individual's life, there is a complete change that happens. So just believing in Jesus is not good enough to have a relationship with God. You see, Jesus even taught that. He said, even the demons know who I am and they shudder. But the demons don't have the relationship. So we need to understand that just belief in Jesus Christ is not good enough. There has to be a complete change. That belief in the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ, it leads to a changed life, a changed trajectory, a spiritual 180. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, didn't he? Nicodemus said, how can I know the kingdom of God? How can I enter into the kingdom of God? And what did uh, Jesus tell Nicodemus? He must be born again. There's got to be a brand new spiritual start. There's got to be a point in time where there's a complete change of trajectory. A new birth must take place. There's got to be a change. And then baptize them. Peter tells them to baptize, to be baptized. 
And baptism is a symbol of that. It shows the reality of that. That's why we baptize by immersion. That shows that that new person, that that person when they go into the water, that that old person, their old self, their sinful self has died with Christ. Then do we we keep them under the water? No. Why? Because that's drowning, not baptism. We bring them up out of the water. And what does that show? A brand new spiritual start. There's a new start, a 180, a new person, a change that has taken place. So just believing in Jesus is not good enough for salvation. That belief has to lead to real spiritual change. If there is a claim of belief in Jesus, but no life change, salvation should be questioned. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. Look again here in Acts chapter 2. What happens? Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I say this often around here. I know we have quite a few visitors. But if you're around on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, you hear me say, I hope in heaven there is a spiritual DVR that we can rewind and watch and see what took place. And this is one of those, those moments that I would love to have seen. Because you start out with 120 people who believe in Jesus Christ and they hear Peter, he preaches the gospel, he preaches Jesus, and then what happens? 3,000 people were saved. Can you imagine what that must have been like? 3,000. We get excited, and we ought to, don't hear me wrong, we ought to. We get excited about one person coming to know Jesus Christ. And we ought to, we ought to celebrate that. Can you imagine? 3,000 people are saved. That church grew overnight from 120 to 3,000. Through what? Was it transfer of letter? changing churches some evangelism and church growth strategy no it was the gospel folks here's the reality for you and i today the gospel works it works you see adam how does it work i don't know but it works it works coupled with the holy spirit and the proclamation of the gospel big things happen 3,000 people are, are saved here through the proclamation of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, today in the American church, we've tended not to believe that. Sometimes we doubt the gospel and we doubt the work of the Holy Spirit. We try sometimes, we try to water down the gospel, don't we? We try to water it down or we make it as a works-based salvation. Or sometimes we don't even try to proclaim the gospel because we're afraid that it might offend somebody. Or we try other methods, maybe good things, good methods to replace and be a substitute for the gospel. But folks, it does not work. Many of you know how close it is to my heart. Church replanting and church revitalization. The reason why the North American church is dying today and is not effective is because we have relied on everything, everything else but the gospel and the Holy Spirit. We have relied on everything else but that. And folks, it doesn't work. 
And what is frustrating for me and for so many in this church revitalization movement is we've gotten away from that and it doesn't work. So why would we keep doing that? Why would the church in North America continue to push the gospel aside and try anything else to reach people? Because the reality is it doesn't work. The gospel works with the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can change lives is Jesus. There's not enough good things or nice things you and I can do to change lives. Now, should we not do those good things and nice things? No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me wrong. We are to be a generous, the church is supposed to be generous. The church is marked by generosity. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But it's the gospel that changes lives. Why would we try anything else? That is why everything the church does has to be gospel-centered. And right where we sit right now, this very second, we here at Leewood, on the corner of 83rd and State Line, did you know that in the Kansas City area, there are 85% of people do not know Jesus or go to church of any kind? 85% people. That means every eight and a half per people, that, I don't know how you judge that half person, but that means eight, uh, eight out of every ten person that you come in contact in the grocery store, in the gas station, at a restaurant, in your workplace, our neighbors, eight out of ten, a little over eight out of ten of them don't, don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. People whose lives are broken, guilt-ridden, and they're looking for everything else possible to fill a godless void in their life. They're looking for it. They're looking for it. They're often looking in the wrong places. But they're looking for that. That hope. That purpose in life. And you know what? The church has it. And it's what? It's the gospel. Amen. It's Jesus. They need Jesus. They don't need anything else. They need Jesus. Church. Leewood Church. Oh, that it may never be said of us that we rely on anything else but the gospel for life change. That we would never rely on anything else other than the gospel and the Holy Spirit to bring about life change. Our responsibility is to proclaim it. That's what Peter did. He's being responsible here. He's proclaiming that good news of Jesus Christ and people are saved, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It works. May, may it be said us to that we would never rely on anything else but the gospel. That's sharing Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's Jesus-centered. It's all about Jesus. And it could be possible that there's someone here sitting here this morning that you are relying on something else other than Jesus for your relationship with God. And you know what? That's not going to work either. Don't rely on doing good works. Don't rely on giving money to charity or being a good person or being a moral person or, you know, and doing whatever it could be, going to church. Don't rely on that. It does not work. You might get some kind of spiritual high off of that. You might get a, some level of spiritual fulfillment on that, but it will not be long lasting. It could be that you're relying on something else, not even spiritual and matter, to, to fill a godless void in your life. It could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be money, it could be family, it could be some kind of human relationship. It could be a hundred different things, but it will not satisfy. 
It might for a period of time, but it will not satisfy. What will satisfy? Jesus. It is only Jesus. It is only the gospel that works in our lives. It's the only thing that brings life change. So here we see in Acts chapter 2, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel, big spiritual things happen and lives are changed. Let's not rely on anything else but Jesus. Let's pray. Maybe here uh, this morning that you're a believer and in your life you have been relying on something else in your life other than the power of the gospel and Christ in your life. Maybe you've been relying on your own strength, you've been relying on X, Y, and Z in your life, but go back to Jesus. He's the one who's died for you. He was the one who was resurrected by God to give you brand new spiritual life. Run back to Jesus. Don't rely on anything else but Jesus. And it could be here this morning that you are relying on a hundred different things other than Jesus for your relationship with God. And let me tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work. It's only the work of Christ that works. And also during this time, let's pray as a church. Pray that we would rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to change lives. So Roxanne's going to play, and you may want to come and pray here at the front. You can do that. You may want to talk to someone about how you can come to know Jesus. You may want to just pray privately there at, this, at your seat, whatever you're most comfortable with. But as a church, as a group of people together, let's, let's meditate on what we've just seen and heard and pray that we can see the Holy Spirit and the gospel at work. Because what took place here in Acts chapter 2, 2,000 years ago, it still works today. Nothing's changed. So let's pray along these lines that God would work on our lives and let's meditate upon these spiritual truths.